Hello, this is Nick Holland with Information Security Media Group. And today I am speaking with Julie Conroy, who is Research Director at ITA Group regarding synthetic identity fraud. Welcome, Julie. Thanks, Nick. So let's get rolling. Um, what is synthetic identity fraud? So that's an interesting question because as I went through the research and I spent a number of months speaking with uh, credit issuers, vendors, merchants, processors, um, and as I asked the folks that are on the front lines you know, how they define synthetic identity fraud, a whole bunch of different definitions emerged. And actually, there was one executive at a, at a large bank that summed it up best. And he said, if you ask three different people in three different lines of business in my bank what synthetic identity fraud is, you will get three different responses. So I think that's, you know, that's one of the challenges the industry faces as we're trying to get our arms around this problem is it, it, it's hard to come up with a common solution when you don't have a common definition of the problem in the first place. So there were, there were a few broad categories of definitions that emerged. Uh, first is, you know, this is the one where we have the most consensus, is pure identity fabrication. So you're just basically creating a new identity out of the ether and setting it up and applying for, for loans with it, applying for bank accounts, and over time establishing it as, as a new identity. Uh, then you have identity compilation, which is taking bits and pieces of identities that were compromised in the myriad data breaches that we've had over the past few years, and combining those to form a net new identity. Um, there was a bit of controversy around that one. Some folks do not consider that to be synthetic because at some point during the skip trace process, you often come across a genuine consumer victim who owns the social security number. So in the minds of some credit grantors, that then places it back into the category of third-party fraud. There's also identity manipulation. So you have a genuine identity, you just tweak some of the data elements slightly to create an identity that is new enough that when it gets reported to the credit bureau, it gets set up as a net new record. And then you've got the, the credit profile numbers or credit privacy numbers that are set up primarily by credit repair agencies to help people that uh, have severely damaged credit to basically get a clean slate. And there were, few folks that I spoke with that consider those to be a form of synthetic identity as well. So as you can see, all over the map from a de definitional perspective. So how do fraudsters do it, Julie? Here in the, in the U.S., uh, we've made it somewhat easy <laughs> for, for fraudsters, at least easier than in some other countries. So when a new customer comes in applying for credit and their first time getting credit, um, they will get their identity gets reported to the credit bureau. And if the credit bureau does their searches, can't find a good match, they will set up a new credit record for them. Uh, credit bureaus actually aren't allowed to use social security number as a primary key. So they, they have a pretty complex matching system to determine if there's, there's a record on file. And understanding this construct, and this is where the, the fraudsters will create these net new identities, they'll go into a credit issuer and apply for credit. And you know, the, the tough part from a credit issuer's perspective is that often these synthetic identities look very similar to someone that is new to the country or new to credit, a young consumer just getting their, their first credit card. The other piece that you know, complicates the, the challenge from a credit issuer's perspective is 
until 2011, we had a, a system in the US for social security number issuance. And so you could do some checks on the social security number to determine is this number range for the social security number consistent with the age of the person that's coming in the door. Uh, in 2011, the US started randomizing its social security number issuance, which makes it even easier now for fraudsters to come in and, and create these synthetic identities. What, what are the other drivers that you're seeing though, Julie? Well, yeah, I, I think right now and why we're seeing so much recognition of this problem and, and so much buzz around it is that we've seen this perfect storm forming that has created all the right elements to balloon this problem. So you've got the social security number randomization, you've got the rampant data breaches that give criminals plenty of fodder for, for identity compilation schemes. Um, we've also been in this prolonged period of economic recovery where you know, credit standards are being loosened. And you, know, you look at uh, the, the prevalence of things like adding authorized users to an existing line of credit. And this is one of the tactics that the criminals are using frequently to establish a net new identity is they'll piggyback off of an established identity, add synthetic as an authorized user. Oftentimes you don't have quite the level of rigor of checks for the authorized user once you have an established user because the financial institution doesn't necessarily have the same level of financial risk. You still have the primary user that you can go back to if, uh, if the account goes underwater. So you know, the authorized user represents a great entry point. Financial institutions, when you get an authorized user added to an account, you typically see about a 30% bump in spend on good accounts, and so they love authorized users. The downside is fraudsters have recognized this as a great entry point for a new synthetic identity. It gets reported to the Bureau as an identity that has credit, and it gets established as a separate identity record. So you see that as an entry point, and then we see these identities just very patiently get built over time by these rings. You know, these are organized crime rings that are behind the vast majority of this activity. And as I interviewed the issuers, the bureaus, you know, we're seeing that uh, 18 months is around the average period to nurture one of these, but, but many folks are saying, you know, we're seeing five years worth of nurturing before the ring finally busts out. That's scary. So what is the damage? What are, what are we seeing? What's the impact? And I guess more than that, who's paying for it? So, you know, the, the, the impact is significant. Yeah, as I said, I, I interviewed a variety of different types of credit grantors. There was uh, you know, somebody from auto finance that called this the, the hottest burning fire in auto finance right now for them in the U.S. market. In the credit card space, I was actually able to get some pretty good data from a number of issuers. So I was able to construct a sizing for credit card in the U.S. So we estimate that last year, synthetic identity fraud cost U.S. credit issuers over $800 million in losses. You know, one of the, the challenging aspects of this is often it doesn't get recognized as fraud and it gets written off as a credit loss. And so really understanding the scope of the problem has been a challenge, but a number of institutions are starting to see fundamental shifts to things like their credit delinquency curves that are only explainable by synthetic. And so they've actually invested the resources, brought in consultants to go through their, their credit write-offs and determine, was this really a bad credit decision or was this somebody that we onboarded that never had the intent to repay because it, it wasn't a real person? Uh, there, was, there was one consulting firm I spoke with that has conducted a couple of these analyses 
and said that for a couple of the banks that they went in and did that painstaking analysis for, they found that 20% of their credit write-offs were associated with synthetic identity fraud, which, which I actually made them say that back to me because it was such a huge number. You know, my, my estimate of the impact of the U.S. is a bit more conservative because I think there's a lot of factors that would bring that 20% down for the ecosystem as a whole. But even if we're talking multiple billions of dollars or if we're talking $800 million, either way, it's a big number. So you spoke with, you know, a variety of vendors as part of the research. What can be done about it? What kind of technologies are being applied to deal with synthetic identity fraud? Yeah, I think as with many types of fraud, uh, a layered approach is the best practice that has emerged here. So you can't really look at any one vector. Um, you can't purely look at how did this credit record get established, although that is one really important element in your analysis. Um, because if you look at how the credit record got established and this person entered the system as an authorized user and then slowly built up their credit from there, now that has all the hallmarks of a synthetic identity. But at the same time, that also looks very much like somebody that's new to credit and got introduced to credit by getting added as an authorized user to their parent's account. So looking at a variety of these types of things, looking at the velocity with which they are adding credit lines and comparing that to determine is that something that is indicative of a normal consumer that is building credit or somebody that's trying to establish a synthetic identity. Looking at the digital identity profile of this customer. So is this somebody that uh, is using an email address that was just set up a month ago? Or is this somebody that's had an email address for a couple of years now? Now, we can't look at any one of these alone because the false positive rate would be huge, but also because as fraudsters study their targets, study their opponents, they also are realizing that a lot of these tells are being used by the good guys as they're trying to detect this. So it's really a matter of layering analysis of the digital identity, analysis of how did this credit record get set up in the first place? And then looking at how are they applying for and using credit? Um, so, Julie, thank you very much. Uh, that, that was Julie Conroy, who is a research director at ITA Group. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Nick Holland.